Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everyone? Aren't you glad we dodged the snow? Yes. Um, a lot of a lot of you are asking, are we having church? And uh, just so you know, we uh, communicate via text in church. So if you're not on the church uh, texting system, please email us so we can add your number. Uh, what we're going to try to do is always have church as much as we're able. So there may be times where if the snow's coming on Sunday, we may do a Saturday night service or a Sunday at two service. So just kind of stay tuned because if at all possible, we want to have church on Sundays. Amen. Well, let's prepare our hearts for the word. Father, as we read your word, we pray you'd speak to our hearts. We thank you, Father, for the book of Revelation. It's the one book in the Bible that says there's a distinct blessing for those who listen and those who receive and those who respond to it and by putting it into action. So, Lord, I pray you bless each person that's here today and those watching online that they would receive a special blessing from this book. And we pray your blessing will be upon it in Jesus name. Amen. We want to welcome everyone. And for those of you who are guests, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down in the resource center down the hallway. I'd love to get to hear your story and get to know you. We're going to be in Revelation 2. So go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, my mind was taken back to the time when I was in middle school. I had dreams of aspiring to be an NBA basketball player. The problem is, is I'm not tall enough and I'm not good enough. But one of the one of the persons I looked up to was Michael Jordan. He was the star of basketball. How many of you are Michael Jordan fans back in the day? All right. So I, I was able to, like many of you, see him win six championships and fly through the air, dunking from the foul line. And like many people, I wanted to be like Mike. And then the unthinkable happened. He retired. And I was like, well, there goes that. And in my heart of hearts, I knew there would be no one that would be just like Mike. So I stopped watching basketball for about 10 years. And I was in my 20s. I was in seminary. And I just happened to tune on to watch basketball again. And there was a guy that played just like Michael. He had the same moves. He copied him. He scored a lot. And does anybody know who I'm talking about? Kobe Bryant. Right. And so I began to follow Kobe Bryant. And... I felt really bad because I missed half his career because I just wasn't watching basketball. So this was on the, the second half of his career. But it made me relive those childhood days of Michael Jordan watching him play. And then the unthinkable happened. Uh, Kobe tore his Achilles and his bright star began to diminish. And he recovered from the Achilles. He came back, but he wasn't as good as he was pre-injury. And uh, so he, he kept going and I, I kept enjoying his star and over time, he, too, was at his last game. Does anybody know how many points he scored his last game? 60 points, his last game. So his star blazed brightly for one more game, and then he retired. And then the unthinkable happened. When he was 41, just a few years later, Kobe Bryant tragically died in a helicopter accident, along with his daughter and seven others. And when I began to look at this and... 
this was right when COVID was hitting, all these things were happening at once. A lot of us were just devastated, you know, all these things in the news happening, COVID hitting. And I began to think and realize that perhaps I was following the wrong star in my childhood. And in life is full of stars. People follow music stars, movie stars. Uh, many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today. We follow football stars. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying stars, but it's another thing to wrap your life around a star. And today we're going to talk about the church at Thyatira. We've been studying the book Revelation. And the thing about the, Th- the church at Thyatira, there were some in the church they were chasing the wrong star. And Jesus is going to reveal himself as the morning star instead of chasing the stars of this world, which grow bright and then grow dim. The morning star, as the dawn of a new day emerges, the morning star gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's the thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. His star never diminishes. His star never dies. His star never retires. But the things of this world are like shooting stars. They brighten the night sky for just a moment and then they're gone. And then someone else comes in their place, another star, another athlete, another singer. So today I've entitled this message, Thyra Tyra Chasing the Wrong Star. So if you would read in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to be reading verses 18 through 29. It says, And to the angel in the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Now listen to the words of Christ to this church. I know your works, your love, your service, faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. So before we read on, notice Jesus continues the sandwich method. Compliment, here's the concern, and he's going to end with a reward or a promise. So here's, here's the concern. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am him who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Now to you, I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, I will give him the morning star. May God bless his word. So we've been studying the seven churches and let's go and throw the map on the screen. And we've described each of these seven churches as they're a central center of a city that goes along a postal route. So we started with Ephesus, then Smyrna, Pergamos, and now we go to Thyatira. This is the route a postal worker would go along. 
And we believe that each church received an entire copy of the book of Revelation, not just this one letter written to them. So Thyatira, this particular city, it was a large military detachment. It was actually a small city, but it had a large military base. And it was the longest message written to the smallest city. So think about that. Each of these seven churches for Thyatira, it was the longest scripture written to the smallest city. It was a commercial city with many trade guilds. A trade guild was a group of artisans that worked together and they regulated commerce and who could get in the trade guild and whatnot. But whenever trade guilds were found, there was often immorality and there was often idolatry. So this plagued the church in Thyatira. The city boasted a special temple to Apollo. Apollo was known as the sun god. And we're going to see as we study this letter to Thyatira, Jesus reveals himself as the son of God. And there's significance to that. It's recognized for wool and dye. And it was a manufacturer of purple dye. And we know a famous lady in the book of Acts who came from the cities. I remember her name. Lydia. That's right. She was a lady who dealt with purple, purple clothing. So what I want to do is I want to present to you instead of chasing the wrong star. Instead of chasing the things that this world offers but do not last, I want to give you six steps on how to pursue the morning star. The first step is this. Take a long look into the passionate eyes of fire and feet of fine brass. So back in verse 18, Jesus reveals himself. Thus says the Son of God who has eyes like flames of fire and feet like fine brass. So the idea that Jesus refers himself as the son of God, this is in, con- in contrast to the temple that the city had to Apollo, the sun God, S-U-N God. And Jesus is declaring a lot of people worship Apollo, who's the sun God, but I am the son of God. I am the one who tramples any false God. So he's he's speaking with a tone of authority. And then when he says the one who has eyes of fire, it's the idea that when you look into eyes of fire, you see several things. First of all, you see passion. Jesus is passionate for his church. He wants a pure bride. He wants a radiant bride, as Paul says in Ephesians. He wants his church to be pure and he wants his church to be passionate and he comes with power. You see power. It's the idea of these laser like eyes. That search to and fro. You know, it's interesting in the news. We've been talking about the balloons that's been surfacing. Which country are they from? These China balloons, right? And I was going to bring one on stage. But we're all like wigged out that someone may be spying on us, right? And it's rightfully to feel that way. But what about when you look into the eyes of the one who sees it all, knows it all. And he's not spying on you in order to mess you up. As his child, he's looking on you with eyes of love. And at the same time, if you reject his love and you rebel against him, it's these eyes of fire. And fire is one thing in fireplace that's good, but outside the fireplace, you don't want to take fire lightly. And that's kind of the imagery, the eyes of fire. And then he talks about the feet of fine brass. And in the Greek, it's the idea of this this type of metal that whenever it's polished, it it has this glimmering effect, this this radiant glow. And the idea is that Jesus stands as the judge. 
And he's going to walk through the church at Thyatira with eyes of fire and feet like a judge. And he's going to try to set things right. And for those who go astray, he's going to try to get them back on the world. I mean, back in the word. So the question I want to ask you is, if you looked into the eyes of flaming fire, how would you feel? Would you feel like you are following Christ or would you feel that you're hiding something from him? And I think that that there's a movie that celebrated 25 year anniversary. Anybody know what it is? The Titanic. Yes. And I don't recommend all of the movie. There's certain things you have to fast forward. But there's one scene in the Titanic that makes me think of this world. And I'm just going to play this short little clip. Let's go and play the clip. So you think about it, the ship is going down and what are they doing? They're just still playing the music. And that's kind of like the world. The world as we know it is passing away and people are going about business as normal, business as usual. So when you look into the eyes of fire and you see purity and you see passion, you see power, it makes you realize that if the world's sinking, I don't want to stay on this boat, right? I want to, I want to walk with the one whose feet is secure and solid. The one who is the judge of the world. So don't flirt with this world because it it's sinking. It's a sinking ship, just like the Titanic. The second truth, when we look at this church at Thyatira, how do we pursue the morning star is this. Keep on progressing on the Christian journey because God is with you each step of the way. Now, before he gets really, it's going to get really fiery, okay? The one who eyes of fire is going to look at the church and see some things. But he gives a compliment of what they're doing well. And every church you can learn from. So one thing he says in verse 19, he says five things. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first. So the idea is progression. The Christian life should be one of progression. It should not be static. It should not be stagnant where you're just standing still. We shouldn't be a still sitting saint where we're just sitting on our blessed assurance, right? Holding until Jesus comes. So this church, even though they had a lot they weren't doing right, they were progressing in five areas. So let's look at these areas. First of all, your works. That's your ministry for God. And the Bible says, while we're not saved by our works, we're saved unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. So the idea is works don't save you, but after you're saved, you should work. You should work because God's going to reward you based upon your your deeds. The second thing they progress in is love. And love is the essence of the Christian faith. So they were growing in their love. And that's a good thing. He said, keep doing it. Move forward in your service. Service is anything you do to advance God's work in his kingdom, 
It's anything you do to build up the body of Christ, continue to advance forward in that. They were advancing in their faith. By now, you should have faith that can move mountains. By now, you should have faith that's seeing God do things. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he rewards those who have faith, that earnestly seek him in faith. They were increasing in patience. The idea of patience is a stick to itness, that you're progressing, that you're not giving up in trials. So these are things that are progressing. And it reminds me of Hebrews 5.12. The author of Hebrews gives this assessment to the believers. He says, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers, right? You've been in the faith a while. You should be teachers. He says, but now you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. So what is he saying? He's like, listen, if you've been a Christian a while, instead of just having someone teach you, you should be teaching others. Instead of needing milk, you need you should be be able to receive meat. Now, it's okay for a baby Christian to say, I'm not getting fed and I need someone to feed me. But if you've been a Christian for several years, you should be a self feeder. What does a self feeder mean? You know how to read the Bible for yourself. You know how to study it. You know how to get resources. And and if you're saying that no one's feeding me, that's a sign of a what kind of Christian? A baby Christian. And that's okay if you just got saved. But if you've been saved longer than a few years, the author of Hebrews says, listen, you should be teaching by this point. You shouldn't still be on a bottle. And somebody said, ouch. (laughs) Amen. So the Christian journey is one of progress. So I want to ask you the question. Are you like the church at Thyatira? You're moving forward like your love is burning brighter. Your faith is is greater than it's ever been. Your ministry is growing. You're impacting more people this year than you did last year. That's the church at Thyatira. But then we get to something critical towards this church. Number three, beware of wicked people who present themselves as godly leaders Now, in verse 20, he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Warren Wearsby, who's now in heaven, brings an interesting contrast between the church at Ephesus and the church at Thyatira. Ephesus was known for its solid doctrine, and they didn't tolerate People that taught anything that was not orthodox, like they that they, they were like kicking false teachers out of the church, but they were declining in their love. They had left their first love. The church in Thyatira, they're known for their love, but yet they tolerate false doctrine. So what Wearsby said is that both unloving orthodoxy and loving compromise are both wrong. And we see that in today's church. Some churches are orthodox. They're theologically correct, but they're cold as ice. Have you ever been to like a Bible thumping church that have great theology, but they're not loving? And you're like, I don't like that. And then you go to a liberal church. A Thyatira would be considered a liberal church. They didn't have good theology, but they just let's love everybody. Let's help the homeless. Let's help the needy. Let's do a service project. They had great love, but they forgot that love's also holy. And if you really love, you can't tolerate evil. So that's that's the that's the danger. And in Baptist circles, we're good often with theology, but we can't have the cold orthodoxy where we don't have love. And some of you that come from liberal backgrounds, you're great with loving people, 
But remember, you can't do that at the sake of compromising theology. You got to avoid both extremes. So that's that's kind of where they're at. So it brings the question, who is this Jezebel lady? I want you guys to look at this picture of Jezebel. Wow. Intimidating, right? That's not the real picture of her, but may have looked something like that. Jezebel, this, as I mentioned, to interpret Revelation, you have to go back often to the Old Testament. This Jezebel lady was King Ahab's wife. She was the daughter of someone that was basically a king who practiced occultic worship, worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. And you're like, what in, what in the world is that? Basically, it was like it was very a sexual type religion. You would often do things sexual in connection to worship. And I don't want to go into great detail, but it was it was basically occultic. And what what happened is Jezebel, because she was so powerful, she influenced Ahab against following God and allowing people to worship Ashtaroth and Baal and all these false gods. And they would set up these places of worship around Israel. So what what Jesus is doing, he's drawing a parallel and I think this lady they're talking about is an actual lady. I don't think her name's Jezebel, but she has the spirit of Jezebel. What's the spirit of Jezebel? When someone refers to the spirit of Jezebel, they're, someone, they're talking about someone that operates. They try to control others. They try to present something that seems good, but really it's not good. It's ungodly. They try to use sensualism instead of spirit, true spirituality. They try to dominate, they try to control, they try to manipulate. That's, if you've ever heard the spirit of Jezebel, that's, that's what the people are referring to. And what's interesting, I didn't know this prior to studying this, but in that day and time in Thyatira, there was actually a temple of fortune tellers. There was a place where fortune tellers would gather and it was led by a dominant woman who was called a prophetess. So the likelihood is Jesus is referring to a real woman at Thyatira that somehow she had crept her way into the church. And because she was so charismatic, because she was so popular, and because the church at Thyatira was, we're just all about love, right? They let her come in and they let her teach the church. And instead of teaching Orthodox Christianity, she was mixing, mixing Christianity with her own religion. And Jesus is telling the church, listen, you shouldn't tolerate false teachers that don't teach the Bible. So I think I think the same is true today. We can't allow people to bring a message other than the Bible. Amen. Because if you do, you get yourself in trouble. So if we apply this to our lives, just because somebody is loving, just because a church has a lot of activities, it doesn't cover up evil practices. And I've seen this in Christians life. People will say, you know, I give 10 percent of my money to the church. But yet they're living an immoral lifestyle just because you give 10 percent. That's great. It doesn't cover up a secret sin or, you know, I'm really involved in the youth and kids ministry. But yet I have a lifestyle of sin in the closet. Listen, we're thankful that you're helping with whatever ministry. But in God's sight, doing a ministry never covers up tolerance, never covers up compromise. So what we can learn from this church is they were doing all the right activities as far as ministries but yet they, they elevated tolerance above truth. Truth should always be elevated above tolerance. Because what happens when you begin to tolerate that which is evil, and then it creeps in the church and it corrupts the church. So the fourth truth, how we can pursue the morning star instead of the fleeting stars of this world, 
is embrace the tension between God's patient love and his swift justice. So verse 21, verse 23, a lot of pastors would skip this because these are very fiery verses. You're like, you know, I gave her time to repent, but she didn't. So I'm going to cast her into a sick bed and everyone who committed adultery is going to be in the sick bed and I'm going to kill her children. And you're like, what is this talking about? Right. But we're not going to skip these verses. What this what this is talking about is, first of all, you have God's patience before you get into God's justice. You got to look at his patience. He said, I gave her time to repent. So even though this woman was a false prophetess, even though she was polluting the church, Jesus said, I still love her and I gave her time to repent. But did she repent? She didn't repent. So what he says is I'm going to cast her into a sick bed. And you're like, what is a sick bed? A sick bed represents God's discipline. And for the believer, there's many passages that talk about this, that whenever you're a believer, the Holy Spirit convicts you, you push God away and said, I'm not going to repent. Even though I'm a believer, I'm not going to repent. And over time, first John says, there's a sin that leads to death. And you're like, what is the sin that leads to death? Well, it's kind of like this. We don't really know for each person. It could be different, but usually it's a prolonged time of rejecting God after you're saved. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. You're, 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 you're becoming a reproach for the body of Christ. People look at you as like, I would go to church, but the church is full of hypocrites like this person. And it's not like God just takes you out right away. It's a long period of rejection. And I've heard even growing up of pastors that leave the ministry. They they leave their wife or whoever. And then all of a sudden they die really young. How many of you have heard of that? Like they, they, and you're like, what happened? John says there's a sin that leads to death. And if you think that's not the case, you guys remember Acts five, Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? They lie to the Holy Spirit. And normally God doesn't just strike you dead like but he did in that case. So I'm not trying to scare anyone, but I'm just trying to say that Jesus is patient. He's loving. But there comes to a point after you're a believer, if you're doing more harm than good for the body of Christ, it's better for you and the body of Christ for you to be with Christ. He takes you home. And that's where it talks about the sin that leads to death. Another reference that's kind of scary. You know, we talk about the Lord's Supper. It's first Corinthians 11 and it says, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have even died because you've taken this without reverence for the Lord. And you're like, what is that saying? It's talking about a believer that spurns the work of Christ that just basically spits on the cross that doesn't care, even though they are saved. And that's, that's kind of what was happening. And he says her children, that represents the followers. So the people that were led astray by this Jezebel figure, Jesus gave them time to repent. And he says, if they don't, there's going to basically the wages of sin is what it's death. So for the believer, all of your sins been taken away. So it's not like an eternal separation from God death, but it's dying before your time. It's dying it's like the sin that leads to death. And I know that scares us, but what you've got to realize is God is patient and loving. And there is a tension. There is a tension. And churches struggle with this. On one side, you have the liberal church that there's no God of justice. And that's, that's a wrong view of God. And the other side, all you have is the God of justice, right? And, and it's like, and it's, it's a balance. We've got to come in the middle here that... Scripture says God is not willing that any should perish. Let's go and throw Second Peter 3, 9 on the screen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
He's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's the tension. God doesn't want anyone to die physically, spiritually. That was never his 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 mode. But here's the thing, because Jesus paid for the price of sin, we have no excuse if our eyes have been opened by the cross. We have no excuse to live in a lifestyle of sin if Jesus has redeemed us from that. He saved us out of sin, not so that we could live in sin. And the church said, amen. So he gives us this warning. All churches will know. And here's the warning. Don't let Jesus use your church as an example of what not to do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a bad example for other churches. I don't want Jesus to make an example of me. Don't be like this church. And all of us have that example of the church that you shouldn't be like. So the church at Thyra Tyre was like, listen, don't don't continue in this because you'll become an example of what not to do in infamy. All right. Number five, it gets a little more encouraging. I know verses 21 through 23 are really heavy. So hang in there for number five is keep pressing on, keep persevering, even if others are staying stuck in sin. So verse 24, it says, now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not hold this doctrine. So Jesus is saying there are some that don't have this Jezebel doctrine. And if you're taking notes, this doctrine was basically an early form of Gnosticism. For those of you who don't know what Gnosticism is, it developed in Greek thought. And the idea was matter is evil and spirit is good. So here, here is how it, it crept into the church. Okay, you're saved now, right? Yes. Well, did you know that your body is evil? That's how the Gnostics would teach. So since it's evil, you can't do anything about it. So you might as well just live however you want to live. As long as you have your quiet time, as long as you go to church, as long as you do the ministry, it doesn't matter what you do with your body because it's evil anyways. Survey says, and that's what Gnostics taught. So that's kind of what this Jezebel lady was teaching is like, hey, you can go to these cultic shrines. You can offer incense. You can have sexual immorality. As long as you show up at church, as long as you're, you're loving, love is love, right? That was kind of the mindset they had. And Jesus looks at that and says, that won't fly. Sorry, it won't fly. He wouldn't say, I'm sorry, but it, it won't fly. So he talks about the depths of Satan. What are the depths of Satan? It's the idea that there's this hidden knowledge that only a few people have. And that was Gnostic teaching. And uh, so what I want to give to you is if there are certain churches that have some revelation that no one else has, if it's something that's not in the Bible, but listen, we got some, we're so spiritual. We have something you've never heard of. Let me give you a saying. If when it comes to truth, if it's new, it ain't true. Bad grammar, but good theology. Have you ever met anybody that had some kind of truth and it's nowhere in the Bible, but they believed it with all they've got? When it comes to truth, if it's new, it ain't true. I don't care how spiritual you come across. If you can't show me chapter and verse in the Bible, I reject it. Amen. So just, just, just hold on to that because we have so much of that in our world. I have this new revelation. If it's not found in the Bible, I'm not going to go along with it because the Bible is the only standard of authority we have. So here's the idea. If you go back to verse number 25, he says, but hold fast you have till I come. Now, the phrase till I come, there's many different understandings of what this could be. I take this to mean that the rapture, that he's going to come for his church. And the idea is that you keep holding on to the truth until I come, until I return. Some scholars have said this is about him coming in judgment. 
But I see it as after chapter three, the church is gone out of Revelation. So I see it as the rapture taking place. All right. And we end on a positive note. And everyone said, thank the Lord. This is so heavy. But remember, I'm just the pizza guy. I just present it. I don't make it up. I just tell you what the Bible says. And I'll always do that. Reach forward towards the incredible eternal rewards in Christ. So how do we not chase the wrong star? How do we chase the right star? We've got to reach forward towards the incredible rewards. In verse 26, it says, he who overcomes. You remember in weeks past, we, John told us in 1 John 5, 5, who the overcomer is. It's any true believer. That's the overcomer. If you're really born again, you will overcome. You will persevere. And he says, and keeps my works until the end. To him, I'll give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And then in verse 28, he says, I will give him the morning star. So here's two promises Jesus gives us. And these are beautiful promises. The first is rulership, rulership. And here's the idea of rulership, that if you're faithful Christian, if you're not just I'm just going to barely get by, I'm just barely going to make it all. I have faith and I'm not really putting it into practice If you're not one of those believers, but you're really trying to live for Jesus, he said, one day you're going to rule and reign with Christ. And one of the immediate applications, I don't think it ends there, but the millennial reign, Revelation talks about the thousand year millennial reign on earth. It says that we're even going to have opportunity to judge angels. And you think about that. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. In Revelation or Luke 19, let's go through this up the screen. This is a powerful verse, this parable. He said to him, well done, good servant. You were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And then the next one came to him and said, master, here's your five minus. And look at Jesus' response. Okay, you've been faithful. So guess what? You'll be over five cities. And I don't know how that's going to work in the new heaven, the new earth, but I think it'd be cool to have leadership over a city. What about you? Yes, I'll be the mayor in the new, you know, one of the cities. Um, so here's the thing. The idea is that Jesus is the ruler of it all. And when you get to heaven, it's not like you're floating around on a cloud. No, there's actually going to be a new heaven, new earth, this new city. There's going to be culture. There's going to be activities going on. And it's not like you're just passive throughout eternity. You know, you're worshiping God, but yet you also have things to do throughout eternity. So if you thought that I'm just going to float around, there's nowhere in the Bible that that's that's artistic drawings and they're, they're fun to look at, but you're actually going to have jobs in heaven. Did you know that work was precurse? A lot of people think work was part of the curse. No, it's thorns added to, but before the curse in Genesis three, there was work. So guess what? In heaven, there's going to be work for the King. So there's rulership, but then there's relationship. Now we go to the very beginning about the star. You guys remember the Kobe Bryant story, Michael Jordan story, chasing the wrong star. Here's, here's what Jesus says. I'm going to give to him the morning star. What is the morning star? What is the morning star? Well, later on in Revelation, and we have the scripture we'll throw on the screen. It's Revelation 22:16. Jesus tells us who the star is. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So I want you to get this contrast. In the book of Isaiah, and this is in your listening to God, Isaiah 14, 12, Satan is referred to as Lucifer. Does anybody know what Lucifer means? You can look on your listening guide. It's the bright star. 
And Jesus is the bright and morning star. See, here's the idea. Thyatira, some of the people in the church, not everybody, but some of the people in church were chasing after the wrong things, the wrong stars. This bright light, this Jezebel lady. Wow, she's attractive. Wow, she's charismatic. Wow, she has a new revelation. I'm going to go after her. And Jesus said, listen, I'm the morning star. See, here's the idea. I want you to picture the morning star. It's the idea as the day begins to dawn. Whenever the morning star arises, what happens to the darkness? The darkness is pushed back. And here's the thing. Shooting stars, if, you, if you, you're at nighttime and you see a shooting star, it goes across the night sky and it's gone. It, it goes from lighting up the sky to it's an oblivion. Whereas the day star, when it rises, as it gets higher and higher, it gets brighter and brighter. So here's the idea. Jesus is saying, listen. I'm not like stars of this world that come and go. I'm not like stars of this world that die, but I am the morning star. And if you will let me be your day star and you will follow me, you won't be let down because, listen, I died. I came back to life. I die no more. I defeated death. I defeated sin. I defeated hell, the grave. Other stars come and go, but he's the star that remains forever. Amen. In Daniel 12, 3, the prophet gives us this. This is really cool. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So here's the idea. Jesus is the bright morning star. And you're, you're kind of like a moon. You don't have any inherent light. You have reflective light. But if you align yourself with Jesus and he becomes the center of your solar system. Guess what? He will shine off you. He will reflect off of you. It's not your light. It's his light shining through you. So I want to give you the big idea. This is the big idea on the screen. To summarize this, and I know this was a very fiery passage today, the nature of the text we have. Stop chasing the fading stars of this world. Instead, pursue the morning star. So here's three action steps. The first one is invest. Someone say invest. Don't invest in that which fades away. I don't know how many years of my life my focus was on the stars of this world. And, you know, it's interesting when I, I, I watch Sports Center like many of you and it's fun. But they talk about these athletes as though almost as like a like a worship service. I mean, they're preaching and they're going back and forth and they talk about the basketball gods or the football gods. And it's like, well, we don't realize it. This is a God for many people. Like that's their focus. They, they know every like, so don't, it's okay to enjoy like sports and things that you can, but don't, don't invest your life in that. Don't pour yourself because it's going to fade away. The second one is to practice. Someone say practice, practice discernment. Beware of someone that elevates tolerance as the highest value because tolerance can be a good thing. But if you're tolerating something evil, it's a bad thing. OK, regardless of what our culture says about tolerance, if you tolerate evil things, it's not good. So the church needs discernment. And how do we have discernment? We test everything by the scriptures. When it comes to truth, if it's new, it ain't true. If you can't show me in the Bible and, you know, like you just. Test everything by the authority of scripture. And finally, center. Someone say center. Think about Jesus as this morning star. And just like the sun 
is where the planets revolve around in our solar system. What would happen if you made Jesus the son of your solar system? Like your whole world revolved around him. What if Jesus was at the center of it all? And everything you did revolved around him. Like the decisions you made. For those of you who are single, who you married. For those of you who are married, your family, your children, your workplace, your retirement. Like all of your life revolved around Jesus. I think if we do that, then we can walk away and say, you know what? I'm not chasing the wrong star. I'm chasing the morning star. Amen. Let us pray.